our Lord and our God. How is it that we can boast in anything of our own? Gone astray, we've turned everyone to our own way. And if it wasn't for you laying our debt, laying our price, our sin upon your precious lamb, that none of us would be here this morning. I thank you, O oh God, for the steadfastness of your promises that he who has the Son has life. I thank you for the promise that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The promise that says, whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Those are eternal promises. And in our present day of time, we find ourselves wondering what is happening. How is it that nations can turn against nations? How is it that people of nations can turn against people of nations. We seem to be in a time of clamoring for answers. And yet at the same time, we know of your perfect plan. We may not fully understand your plan, but we know that it is perfect because you were perfect. So as we come this morning, O oh Lord God, to your word, to the issue of trying to discuss, are we in the last days? Are we facing the end of time as we know it? These are difficult questions. But I pray for clarity, O oh Lord God, from your voice, your spirit, to our hearts and to our minds. May everything that is said and done bring you the honor and the glory because you alone are worthy. And I'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Years ago, there was a, a program that was called the Early Edition. The Early Edition was a program in which the news of tomorrow was given today. With the purpose that preparing yourself for what is going to happen tomorrow. It was a worldly desire, or a try, if you will, to give out information so that people could adjust their lives in order to meet that new information. Prophecy is God's, if you will, early edition. Throughout the Word of God, 
We see events of history that have already come into being. I'm speaking of the anticipation, if you will, the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that even he would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. As early as even history of this world began, in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And throughout time, people have been trying, if you will, to understand God's mind in his prophecy. Let me let you in on a little secret. Prophecy is God's warning for events that are yet to come in order that individuals can be prepared. Individuals can, if you will, escape some of the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. The last prophecy that needs to be fulfilled is the one we will deal with today. The question is, when is Jesus coming? We've already been awakened to events of this day, of this time frame, whereby questions are starting to fulfill the airwaves of people's minds and hearts. They look at the events that are happening in Ukraine and instantly they want to go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and, and tie them together with Gog and Magog. There are other events that are happening too that in our world bring unrest, troubled times, whether economically, whether physically, and even, if you will, very violently events of time. What's happening? What is it that God is doing? In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples of Jesus asked him some very interesting questions. You might remember from previous Bible studies that maybe you've had that in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is walking out of the temple with his disciples. Luke tells us that Jesus uses a poor widow's might for a teaching opportunity at this time, but that's not what Matthew focuses in on. It says in chapter 24, the first eight verses, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as his disciples sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ 
and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled at all, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs, sorrows. The disciples had three questions for Jesus. You talked about Jesus, about the temple being destroyed, that not one stone will be left upon the other. When's that going to happen? But then they go on to two other ones. What's the sign of your coming? And then, when will the ages end? Three questions that the disciples asked are kind of interesting because those three questions are being asked today. When's it all going to stop? So our chore this morning is not to convince you that Jesus is coming today. But he may. That is set aside for God the Father. But this morning what I want to do for you and with you, if you will, is to aggressively take you through God's timeline, his prophetic timeline. Uh, Nathan, can you put that up for us now, brother? And you have this in your bulletins. This is God's timeline. And with the help of my, my trusty pointer, we are presently in the time frame called the church age. The church age began, if you will, in Acts chapter 2, during the time of when the Holy Spirit, who was promised by Jesus, came and landed upon the 12 apostles, and then Peter begins his message, whereby by the end of it, 5,000 individuals came to trust Christ as their Savior. The church age is known as a time of when individual, the gospel is being preached, individuals are being saved, and once that happens, they become part of what the Apostle Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They become a part of the body of Christ. They belong to the church. If you've seen, if you, if you've seen uh, chess tournaments you'll notice that as two opponents are across from each other, there's a clock that is there. And when one individual makes a move, they hit the clock. And the other individual is supposed to make a move within a certain amount of time, and then they push the clock, and it goes back and forth like that. When Jesus was on the earth, the time that he spent trying to, if you will, convince the nation of Israel that he is the Messiah, God hit the clock. 
the, the Jews have been put aside just for a short season. Now it is called the church age. It's also referred to in uh, Luke chapter 19, the times of the Gentiles. This is a period of time we don't know. All we know is when it began. We don't know when it's going to end. I can tell you the event that's going to end it, but as far as knowing exactly when that's going to happen, nobody knows. And so when we come to this time of the Gentiles, the, the church age, if you will, it all began at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and gave of his life as the only sacrifice that could pay our debt of sin. And when anyone trusts in that for their only hope of eternal life, that individual is instantly accounted to what is called the church, the body of Christ. We are in the church age right now. But after the church age, there is an event that is coming. It's referred to in your, if you will, the rapture. What is the rapture? When will the rapture happen? I hope before the next 30 seconds, then all of this will become plain. But the rapture is that event that God has given to us in his next edition known as the Word of God. What is it about? I'm going to take you, your, your brain is going to hurt today. This is not going to be a quick perusal of Scripture. Each one of these events could literally take months and maybe even years of study to come to even a deeper understanding. So it's my chore this morning is to give you enough information to make you dangerous to the world. What is the rapture? Two places. First, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning at verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Notice what the scripture says. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery in the scriptures is revealed truth that was not previously known. Mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, let me tell you what the twinkling of an eye is. A twinkling of an eye is one one hundredth of a blink. It is that fast. 
It is that unexpected fast that we are going to be changed. Well, who is going to be changed? Who are the we that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Notice what it says. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. What Paul is talking about is the individuals who have died are viewed as being corrupted. When an individual believer person dies, when they take their last breath on this earth, there are two things that happen. First, their soul and spirit is taken into the presence of Jesus Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Then their physical body, this temple, if you will, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this temple then is placed in the ground. And in that, we have this change that is coming. The corruptible has to be changed to be incorruptible. Remember, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, and so there has to be a change. Flesh and physical has to be restructured so that it can inhabit God's dwelling place, heaven. We can't go there like that. One great thing about the rapture is this. You all get your hair back. Your false teeth stay here. You get new ones. Hips and knees stay here. Steel stays here. We get changed, modified, if you will, into that perfect body, unaffected by sin. The corruptible has to put on incorruption. Notice the second group, it says. And, this, and the mortal must put on immortality. We who are alive at the coming of the blowing of the trumpet, the voice of God, come up here. We who are alive, we too need to be changed from, from mortal to immortality. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then it says, death, where's your sting? You got nothing. Grave, where's your victory? I'm gone. For the sting of sin is death. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second passage that describes the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love to hear the turning of the pages of the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4.
beginning at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That word sleep there is very, very important because it is not if you will, an eternal condition. Sleep is only a time of rest. There's a new day coming where sleep is going to be wiped away. Notice what the Apostle Paul goes on to say, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will, be, will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The reason they have to rise first is they need six feet to catch up. That'll get you by about noontime. Then, oh, that's what he meant by that. They will rise first. And according to 1 Corinthians, they go from corruptible to incorruptible. And as their bodies, if you will, rise from the grave, you'll notice what it said earlier that it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those bodies are going to be joined with their spirit and their soul. And they're going to be changed in glory. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. Thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The rapture is the thing, it is the event that I'm waiting for. The rapture comes when God says to the son, go get the children. The rapture is not Jesus coming to the earth. You all got that? You understand that? Jesus meets us in the clouds. We go to meet him in the clouds and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Now, when we are raptured, there are things that happen to believers during that time. When we are raptured, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Now, let me tell you what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is walking according to the scriptures over time. It's dedicated to the principles of what God has to say. And being found worthy, if you will, or working in the scriptures 
in order to honor God in all that we say and do, and we are, will be rewarded. But we can also lose rewards. And so during the time after the rapture, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with rewards. Those rewards are described in the scriptures of 1 Corinthians 3 as that which is precious jewels, gold, silver, precious jewels. Loss of rewards is described as wood, hay, and stubble burned up. We get nothing, saved as if by fire, in heaven, but not rewarded. What are we going to do with those rewards? We're going to lay them at Jesus' feet, because he's worthy. He's worthy of that. He alone is worthy. Now, once the rapture happens... This is when you got to start scratching on your paper. Once this happens, these three things happen. Before the tribulation period of time comes into being, these three things must happen. Where do you get that, Pastor Doug? Now you've got to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Now, brethren, concerning, verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. Let no one deceive you so what is Paul talking about he is talking about the rapture gathering together Greek word parousia it is the calling out is the gathering of souls the gathering of people who have trusted Jesus Christ at that time we leave earth and we enter into the presence of Jesus Christ. If, by, if the rapture was to happen right now, I'm gone. And if I'm gone and you're still sitting here, that means you ain't saved. And if you're not saved, then what awaits you, you don't even want to know about. 
So I'm trusting and really asking the Lord Jesus Christ to awaken our hearts and our minds to realize that we would do introspection. Am I who I think I am? Or am I only fooling myself? This is about, do you know for sure if the rapture was to happen today, would you still be sitting here? I pulled that trick on a church a number of years ago. I asked them, if the rapture happened last night, how many of you show up for church this morning? Oh, about over three quarters of the people. I'd be here. <laughs> you don't want to be here for the events that happened. Let's go on. We're talking about the rapture. Gathering unto Jesus Christ. Let no one deceive you, verse 3, by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, some Bible scholars have, unfortunately, taken this out of context there are some individuals that use this passage to prove that the church is going to go through some of the revelation, some of the tribulation. But let me at least break it down for you that you understand the concept of what Paul is talking about here. He's working toward this. Right there. Before the Antichrist can be revealed, two things have to happen. First of all, the restrainer must be removed. Notice what it says in the scriptures. It says in verse 5, Do not... Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he must be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed the restrainer, who or what is that? There are those who feel that the restrainer is the church. There are those who feel that the restrainer is government. Have fun with that one. <laughs> but you'll notice that the personal pronoun he is given to the restrainer. To understand who the restrainer is, mark John chapter 16. For Jesus said, I will send to you another comforter, and he is going to do this. And one of the things he does is prevent sin, evil. He restrains evil. 
Who is Jesus talking about? Holy is the restrainer. Can you imagine how bad it would be and how bad it's going to be when the restrainer is removed? As evil is rampant in our society and in our world today, still the Holy Spirit prevents it from getting worse. So it says in the scriptures that first the restrainer must be removed. But there's also this apostasy. Until most recently, I thought that was in reference to only the church. I, I don't think that's, in my mind, correct now. H have you noticed most, late, most recently how the whole world is falling away from biblical moral truth? They are rejecting any aspect of God that comes from the scriptures. There are many gods out there. But I'm talking about the one that is highlighted in the scriptures. God himself revealing his early edition. This is who he is. And the world wants nothing to do with him. I believe part of that is in tune with what we looked at many months ago of Romans chapter 1. Whereby God says, if that's what you want, then that's what you can have. You can choose and make a choice, but you don't have the freedom to choose the consequence. And I sense that even right now, the world, the consequence that they have made a choice of, the consequences, is that God is stepping back. They don't want anything to do with him. There is a world sweeping, if you will, of neglecting foundational truth. Will that also involve church members? It could. It could, but here's the fly in the ointment. For the event of the Antichrist to come into being, into power, Holy Spirit has to go. And if Holy Spirit goes, I'll let you in a little secret. I'm going. You're going. Why? Because Jesus said in his word, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When Holy Spirit goes, church goes. So the apostasy, now we have the revelation of the one world ruler, the Antichrist. Who is he? Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Turn there. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. 
The reason that I know that the church is not going to go through any part of the tribulation period of time is based upon two promises. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And they virtually say the exact same thing, that God has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto blessing. Now, if you all want to stay here for a little while, when the Antichrist is revealed, you go right ahead. But I know you won't if you know Jesus. Who is this one? Chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Who is he? I do not know. All I do know is that there will be a time of when he will show up. But I want to give to you some information prior to this event. That, I know, is a seven-year period of time. When you go to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 12, you will find out that there is one week of sevens that have not yet been fulfilled. Sixty-nine have been fulfilled. And that began when the, the command was made to build the walls of Jerusalem again until the time of when it was killed. Weeks have been fulfilled in Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, there is one week that has not yet been fulfilled. That, dear people, is the time we call the tribulation. When does that begin? Now, I, what I'm about to say is going to surprise some of you. The tribulation period of time does not begin when the church is raptured doesn't begin at that time. The scripture says that the tribulation begins when Jesus breaks the seal. The first seal. Where does that come from? Well, now you've got to go back to Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. Revelation 4 and 5, John is in the throne room of God. In verse chapter 4, it's God the Father and the, and the establishment of four of these interesting beasts that surround his throne. There are 24 elders that surround his throne. And in the front of his throne is a sea of glass. Now you've got to be a whole lot more energetic and art than I can. I can't even begin to want to try to draw that. It is so vast. It's so huge. So encompassing 
that what happens is that these beasts and the 24 elders proclaim holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. But chapter 4 closes with an interesting statement. He says, and in his hand he holds the scroll. Chapter 5 comes on the scene, and the cry comes out, Who is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals? John begins to weep as all of heaven because it says there was no one found worthy in heaven or on earth or even under the earth or even in the sea. No one was worthy until one of the angels says to John, Weep not. For behold, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world comes and takes that scroll. And then there's this massive chorus. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Worthy is a Lamb who was slain. To not only take the scroll, not only to break the seals, but worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, dominion, and might. He's worthy. He's worthy. Then, Jesus breaks the first seal. We're already in heaven. Because in chapter 5, John sees this group of individuals around the throne and he describes it in numbers that I can't even begin to understand when he says thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 saying, worthy is the Lamb. Now this is going to blow your minds away. If you haven't got a headache, you're going to have one right now. John saw me there. John saw you there. All who have trusted Christ, John saw them there. And we're praising Jesus. How do I know we're there? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, John says, I heard a voice that said, come up here. Gone. We're there. Chapter 6, verse 1. This individual is revealed. It begins the tribulation period of time of seven years. Divided, if you will, not just in seven years, but in three major judgments by God. First, you have the sealed judgments. Seven of them. The seventh sealed judgment introduces the trumpet judgments. The seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet introduces the seven bowl judgments. And it's during this period of time that God is pouring out his wrath upon this earth. In fact, the scriptures calls it Jacob's trouble. 
It's Jacob's trouble. This is the day of the Lord. We live in now the times of the Gentile, the days of human mankind. There's going to be a day when that stops, and now God's calling the shots. It's the day of the Lord. The, the restrainer is removed. Apostasy begins. Jesus cracks the first seal. This is revealed. And seven years of literal places on this earth, I'd like to use the word, but I won't, in a mixed company, is going to happen on earth. You think it's bad now. When the forces of darkness are released upon this earth to fulfill God's plan, it's something that you don't want to be here. Let me give you a hint of what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 6, please. By the fourth seal, notice in verse 7. And when he, Jesus had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold, the pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over one-fourth of the earth. To kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. One quarter of the world is gone. When you go to the trumpet judgments, one third of what is left is destroyed, gone. When you get to the bold judgments, the world is ravaged by God's wrath. During the time of the tribulation period, the seven years, there is the creation of what I'll call the unholy trinity. You have the dragon, who is referred to in this book of the Revelation as Satan himself. And he gives power. Well, let me show you. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 is a description of two beasts. The two beasts, who are they? In verses 1 to 8, you have the beast known as the Antichrist. He is the world ruler. All of the world is under his command. In verses, thir uh, verses 11 through verse 18, you have the false prophet, the religious system 
of the world. The religious system of the world at that time will be that if you do not worship the Antichrist, you will be killed. You will receive in that time a mark that is known as 666. What's interesting about that mark, it represents the unholy trinity. Six is the number of man. You've got, you've got Satan the dragon as the power giver. He's the first six. He's the false father of glory. You've got the Antichrist, who is the false Christ, the second six. Then you have the false prophet, which represents the false scriptures. You've got the third six. Six, six, six. The unholy trinity. It says that that mark, don't, ne don't necessarily, it may be a number. It may be something else. But it can either be in your forehead or it will be on the back of their hand. And without that number, you are not allowed to do business. You're not allowed to eat and you won't be allowed to live. That's during the seven year tribulation. But I can't leave you there. Bless the Lord. All right. I told you this was going to be long. Well, you got donuts and coffee afterwards anyway. It doesn't end there, dear people. It doesn't end there. Because after the seven-year period of time, Jesus comes. Notice Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. This is where Matthew chapter 24 comes into play. Jesus was not talking about the rapture. They wanted to know when are you coming to this earth, setting up your kingdom. They wanted to know when is the end of time going to be. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. 
And now out of his mouth goes the sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming to this earth. And he establishes what is known as the Millennium Kingdom. There are three things that happen when Jesus comes. And chapter 20 is very clear that the first thing that happens is our arch enemy is chained and bound and thrown into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And it's locked. Let me let you know a little secret. He don't get out. There's no escape route. He is bound there. But you'll also notice that the Antichrist and the false prophet are destroyed. They are thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus rules and reigns on this earth for 1,000 years. That which is described for us in such passages, if you will, of, of Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter 66, they describe this unbelievable place known where the lion will eat straw as an ox, where a child will be able to play with snakes. Well, I didn't want to do that, I have no idea, but anyway. <laughs> And they won't be bitten. No one's going to die during this time. But I can't wait for the flight, the return flight. Because when Jesus is on his horse and he's leading the way, it says all of heaven follows him. Did you see the change? We got white clothes riding on white horses following the one who's just going to speak and it's done. How long of a trip is that from God's dwelling place to earth? Back in the 60s, when Russia sent up the cosmonauts, their fancy name for astronauts, but anyway, they were proclaiming, we don't see any heaven up here. There is no God. They just didn't look far enough. They were dwelling in the second heaven. You got the first heaven atmosphere, second heaven stars, Third heaven, God's dwelling place. How far is that out? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that one of these times this black hole is going to open up. 
after we're raptured. How are the scientists going to, how, what are they going to do to explain that? Because it says the clouds are going to part and Jesus is going to come. And anyone on this earth can't stop it from happening. And he rules for a thousand years. After the thousand years, there's a time of Revelation chapter 20 that Satan is loosed for a short season. We don't know how long it says a short season. And when you go to Revelation chapter 20 verses 8, He's, is, let's pick it up. Let's go back to the, well, we got to put in con, verse 7. Now then the thousand years have expired. Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. Gog is a ruler. Magog is a land. To gather them together to battle whose number is a sand. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil was deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and the, with the false prophet and the beast. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. When the first forever is over, another one takes charge. In other words, we're talking about eternity. But then there is this event here. The white throne judgment. That you find in Revelation 20 beginning at verse 21. Where it says both great and small. Kings and rulers stood before Jesus. And it says, and the books were opened. One book is accordance of their works. The other book is the Lamb's book of life. And it says, in whose name, whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire, reserved for Satan, and his angels. Even after a thousand years. Living on this earth. In perfect peace. Where Jesus is the ruler. He's the king in Jerusalem. Plenty of food. Plenty of work. Plenty of health. No one dies. And even after that. People refuse. To believe in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Their end is not a party with friends. That's tragic. And then Second Peter chapter 3 introduces the remaking of what is called a new heaven and a new earth, eternity, eternity. So what am I trying to say? Are you ready? Do you know 
Jesus Christ as your Savior. That will be the only thing that will keep you from the devastation that is yet to come. Do you know him? I must leave you with this statement in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. says in verse 9 the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you understand the density of that statement? You may be sitting in church for years And the truth of the scriptures are brought. And you keep saying no, no, no. There'll be a day when you won't even be able to say yes. Too many are thinking that, well, when the rapture happens, then I'll trust Christ. No, you won't. You have no hope. Because every time an individual rejects the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, one more nail goes in their coffin of eternity. The scriptures are clear when it says, when the rapture happens, when the restrainer is removed, when the, when the false Christ is brought to forth, everyone who has heard the truth and yet rejected it, you will not be able to trust Christ. And God will send you a delusion that you will believe the lie. It's hopeless. Only those who have never heard the gospel during the time of tribulation will be given that opportunity. Do you know Jesus? That's the key. I don't want you to leave today without making sure that you know him. And it's as easy as this. It's simple, but it's not easy. Simply put, it's this. But it's not easy because of pride. What will people say? What will my family say? What will my co-workers say? Put that all aside and, and ask yourself this question. What's God going to say? 
I beg you, don't leave today without making sure you know Jesus. Because the scriptures are clear. Without him, you are doomed. Can we pray? God, this isn't easy to say. This isn't easy to even look at. But your word is so true. Those who have placed their faith and trust in you are guaranteed of being changed. We will be with you forever and ever and ever. But the opposite is also true. That those who refuse to trust in Christ will be apart from you forever and ever. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of everyone that is here today. That you would draw them to yourself. Someone here this morning does not know Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would seek out an individual that they came with, an individual that they know that can take the scriptures and show them how they can know they can have eternal life. It's not a time to play games, Lord. It's a time to become real with you. So I ask, oh God, that you would move in the hearts of individuals who do not know you. We've looked at some hard realities, but your prophecy is true because you're true. And what you say you will do, it will be accomplished. I only hope, Lord, that everyone here has trusted you as their Savior. For it's in the name of Christ I ask this. Amen.